Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Unchained and Unconfirmed are now published as videos. If you're not yet subscribed to the Unchained YouTube channel, head to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained podcast and subscribe today. T Quorum is a weekly virtual series about all things Tezos. Every Wednesday, tune in for presentations about the latest advancements that help the ecosystem grow together. Learn more at tquorum.com. Crypto.com is waiving the 3.5% credit card fee for all crypto purchases. Download the Crypto.com app today. Need cash but don't want to sell your crypto? Use Nexo's instant crypto credit lines and withdraw funds today, starting from only 5.9% APR. Create an account at nexo.io. Today's guest is Dimitri Buterin, the founder of Vitalik Buterin and co-founder of Block Geeks. (laughs) Welcome, Dimitri. Hi, Laura. How are you doing? Great. Glad to have you here. So congratulations on Ethereum turning five. How does it feel to see your son's creation, Ethereum, turning five years old? Oh, it's exciting. It's, uh, you know, I sent him a message and I'm going to see him in a couple of hours, right? And uh, so much has happened in five years. It's uh, it's uh, breathtaking, you know, so much learning had to happen, so much progress has been made, so many unexpected challenges, as is always the case, right? And there's still so much to do, so... Really, uh, it's a nice uh, round milestone, right? And uh, and it's a milestone. So moving forward, everyone is. Vitalik's path to creating Ethereum actually began with Bitcoin, and you were the person who introduced Vitalik to Bitcoin. He eventually became a prolific Bitcoin journalist and also was a co-owner of Bitcoin Magazine. How did you hear about Bitcoin, and why did you tell Vitalik about it? One of the drivers of my personality is curiosity. I constantly read and consume a lot of different, you know, all kinds of information. And it used to be about technology, uh, uh, mostly nowadays. It's a much broader range of things. And uh, I think I might have come across it in a podcast uh, by Steve Gibson. It's a podcast about security, uh, computer security, right? And uh, it sounded like a really exciting concept, right? And uh, what uh, that person Satoshi was able to achieve and uh, whatever I learned then I turned around and shared with people around me and I Vitalik obviously has an extremely client who is always eager to learn right so it was just natural for me to share that with him and actually just uh, yesterday two days ago I was looking at the stack of Bitcoin magazines at my place and I'm like oh wow you know they're like uh, really nice mementos of that time and so at that time, he 
um, also ended up dropping out of college to write for Bitcoin magazine. Well, not, I mean, he was already writing for them, but when he dropped out, he was primarily writing for them and also traveling the world to um, visit different Bitcoin communities. What did you think at that time when he did that? I actually remember that day because, you know, he, he came home and, uh, and then uh, his mom was also there. So all three of us, uh, myself, my wife, and uh, his mom were there. And he mentioned to us that he was thinking about dropping out of college, right? And uh, we all were actually quite excited for him because, again, like uh, the school that he was in, it's an awesome university, the best possibly in computer science, right? But for me, learning is not something that you do in a you have to do in a particular place, right? It's uh, I'm a big believer that uh, learning happens uh, throughout our whole life, right? And uh, I knew, knowing Vitalik, I knew that he's not going to stop learning, right? And he, before he mentioned that, so the school was not quite giving him what enough to chew on so to say right and when he shared his plans and what he wanted to do we actually were all quite excited and supported him because uh, again like going to school and i know that if you go to that school you after that so you will probably get recruited by somebody like microsoft or google and get a very nice you know uh, six-figure salary and whatnot but uh, I also knew that if he drops out and then he actually does stuff and there is uh, much more learning that can happen in the real world, right? Because uh, we see this all the time, that uh, the disconnect between what is being taught in formal uh, education system and uh, the real world, uh, there is a big difference. And then eventually, I think within about a year, he had his idea for Ethereum. When he told you about his idea, what did you think? Yeah, I, uh, I remember that as well, too. You know, he actually showed me his uh, uh, first draft of the white paper, right? I do have science education, but I have not been really following that uh, crypto space that closely. So I could understand the concepts, but, didn't, you know, on a superficial level. But it made a lot of sense. I would very impressed with how well thought out uh, the whole concept was, with a lot of uh, things, and also how clearly it was communicated, right? Because uh, reading a lot of technical documents and actually any kinds of documents, any kind of things, I know that it's really hard to express something complicated in a way that people can understand it, right? So most people actually don't understand things themselves, and then they try to overcomplicate things very complex technical language to hide their actually the fact that they don't know, right? But Vitalik always had this gift when he was able to express himself very clearly, especially and even on very complex thought. If you look at his uh, articles in Bitcoin Magazine, you can see that, right? So that was his gift for a long time. So when I read his uh, white paper, I'm like, wow, this sounds like a really awesome concept. And it makes total sense, right? Like the way I think about it is uh, Bitcoin was an awesome, huge milestone. And I think about it as uh, when people started building websites, right? Internet was born and then people started building HTML site, right? And HTML websites are great and, you know, you can do all kinds of cool things. But then JavaScript was born. And then with JavaScript, uh, you can actually now build a full-fledged uh, applications with that. And that's kind of how I understood the concept, and, and this is how it's born out. And uh, yeah, so it was very exciting to see that. 
And so when Ethereum first launched, what did you imagine it would become? Oh, it was really hard to do that. I think that Vitalik uh, did a much better job of imagining that. Like even now when people look back at the original white paper, right? And he talks about, uh, you know, stable coins and other kind of aspects. So he obviously did a lot of deep thinking about that. And uh, and I have not by that time. You, you know, I was just like uh, following their progress. And uh, for me, it was uh, just fascinating to watch uh, how that's uh, awesome theoretical, if you will, computer science idea was coming to fruition and then also meshing with all the reality of life, right? All the people, all their motivation, if you will, degree, their personal preferences, all kinds of things, right? So for me to kind of watch that thing unfold and all the people getting involved was a really fascinating time. Yeah, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But I also wanted to ask you, was there any particular moment where you realized that this was going to be really big? Ethereum was going to be really big? I don't know there was a particular moment, right? But, uh, and big things, they take time, right? It's, they, don't, they don't like uh, happen like, oh, this is huge. But it's more like you wake up and like, oh, this is huge because it's happened, right? And if you look right now at Ethereum and all the work by so many people that went into this, it's amazing what has been achieved. Um, but, I mean, their initial white paper was uh, uh, very impressive. And, uh, again, without me really being in that space, but then kind of watching from the side and seeing uh, so many awesome, smart people, all kinds of people being involved with that. And, like, oh, okay, so I uh, uh, struck a, a note with a lot of people, uh, and uh, they're excited and uh, like seeing that community uh, being created for me was a very exciting aspect of this. And kind of looking at what is happening now is a reflection of that, right? Because again, awesome, smart ideas. Vitalik came up with this idea, but obviously his idea was built on ideas of other people. And you probably know that. And if you have an idea for a startup, then probably at the same time in the world, there are a few dozen people if not the people have similar ideas, right? But having their technical ideas, one aspect of this, but then having their, if you will, their philosophy ideology around that so that people would want to do this, not just for the sake of technological idea, but for the sake of being part of that community, right? I could feel that in the beginning and that's still very much the case. And I would say uh, much more so nowadays. In a moment, we'll discuss some of the personal challenges that Vitalik faced, as well as things like the ICO craze. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. In this crisis, many investors aim to keep and grow their digital assets. Others seek to maximize the yield on their cash. Nexit allows you to achieve both of these goals. The company offers instant crypto credit lines against all major cryptocurrencies, with interest rates starting from only 5.9% APR. Nexo also allows you to earn up to 8% annually on your fiat and digital assets. What's more, interest is paid out daily and you can add or withdraw funds at any time. Get started at nexo.io. How much in fees are you paying for crypto purchases? Now, Crypto.com is waiving the 3.5% credit card fee when you buy crypto. Apart from crypto purchases, you can also get a great deal on food and grocery shopping with Crypto.com. Get up to 10% back when you pay with their MCO Visa card. No card? Use the Crypto.com app to buy gift cards for up to 20% back. Download the Crypto.com app today and enjoy these offers until the end of September. Back to my conversation with Dimitri Buterin. 
what did you think of the ICO craze, which was essentially enabled by Ethereum? Uh, I looked at most of the projects, like I would say 99% of the projects, and like they don't make any sense to me. Like, like <laughs> people would talk to me and they would show me all kinds of white papers and they all look very sophisticated. But again, their sophistication was of the kind that when you look deeper, like, okay, can you explain it in a very simple language? people couldn't right it's like basically for most people it's like oh i think we can make lots of money with that in my experience uh building something big is very rarely played it you know or very rarely starts with the concept let's make lots of money right and uh and then people of course wrap it with a lot of like oh and we can do this for this kind of people but when they talk to them you realize that it's like sense um, the second thought that they had, but the first is like, oh, it's it's exciting, we can make money. So anyway, it's like uh, I was looking at it with amazement, and uh, there was a lot of stuff happening, and I think that maybe into one particular project recommended by a friend, uh, uh, well, a couple of projects, but other than that, I'm, I was just uh, amazed, and uh, uh, we're going to go through a transition, right? And I've seen that happen with the uh, internet back in uh, whatever the end of the 90s, right? So like, it, it, it had a similar feel to that. But on the other hand, it also felt like a very natural uh, evolution of this space, right? Just like uh, your interview, recent interview with Vitalik and other conversations he had. And when he talks about DeFi, like, you know, what's the sunset? And people are questioning that. But on the other hand, this is a really awesome way for people to experiment and build crazy, complicated, amazing mechanisms that they can be that can be leveraged and something, right? And you look at many other things like uh, Augur version two coming out recently. So I think it's uh, Augur is a really uh, interesting project, and uh, I think they were the flow on uh, Ethereum or something like that. And uh, big things, you know, things that make real impact on the world, they take time, right? So, and they take time to shape out. I was looking at those ICOs, people were basically doing a lot of very short-term thinking. Let's raise lots of money and let's kind of go all out and build something quickly, right? But I'm a big believer in sustainability. You know, life as, uh, if you will, a mar marathon is not a sprint and we cannot just like uh, kill ourselves trying to like, oh, let's do this right now, yesterday, tomorrow, or whatever, right? but it's uh, you have to take a long-term perspective. And this is exactly, as I look at uh, five years of Ethereum, right? It's really been about consistency. There was a plan, there were a lot of research, there was a lot of failed attempts and, you know, dead ends. And still the team, the community, they kept marching forward and they kept overcoming those things. And yeah, things take longer. And one of my analogies is like when you build in a business, it's like when you plant a tree, you plant the tree into the soil and you put some nutrients, you water it and you do all the things. And after that, you can do all kinds of crazy dancing or, you know, you know, pray, whatever, but it will just grow with its uh, pace. And this is any substantial initiative. It will evolve with the speed that there, uh, that matches, if you will, the environment. And one of the threats that had been hanging over Ethereum for a few years was whether or not Ether would be considered a security or whether or not the SEC would go after Ethereum for its crowd sale. It eventually became apparent neither of those things would happen. But were you ever nervous for Vitalik? I wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I remember that time. And uh, and on your interview, you were talking about uh, 
some of the space, uh, like the guy Steven Nureyev, right? And I remember there was a conference in Toronto, I think it was uh, maybe three years ago. We got together with Alex and then I just happened to be present at that conversation. Steven was really trying to uh, basically explain to Vitalik that, Vitalik, this is very dangerous. You're going to go to jail. And I'm the only person who can save you because I have all this awesome connection, all kinds of people and law enforcement and, you know, Senate and whatnot. And after we talk, we talk to him and then, you know, I'm talking to Vitalik and I'm asking, how do you feel? And he said, well, but also like when there's so much pressure being applied to me, then I kind of start to question, is this really real? Uh, and I said, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about this too. And how to put this met Vitalik multiple times, right? And you know him, end of the day, you know that he has uh, his heart in the right place, as they say, right? So I'm pretty sure that, uh, and again, law enforcement and those uh, branches of our government, they, they don't have to be reasonable. But I kind of have to believe that uh, when people talk to Vitalik and they see this is his intent, right? It was not, it was never his mind to trying to make money or whatever, uh, invite investors to this, right? And if you think back into this whole, to this whole ICO craze, right? He was uh, constantly warning people that this lead to blow up, right? So it was uh, a bit of concern, but uh, it was not a huge concern. Yeah, it's um, interesting that you mentioned Stephen Nerioff just then, because I do think in general, and Vitalik has talked about this, that uh, one of his biggest challenges, if not the biggest challenge, I actually think he said this in that interview I uh, published on Tuesday, that uh, his biggest challenges in biggest challenge in steering Ethereum to where it is today was the social aspect like people related issues. And was that something that you were aware of yes. during, you know, while he was trying to help grow this network? And did you try to help him at all with yes, that? Yeah. Or what were your thoughts? Uh, yes, yeah, so of course, it was, uh, uh, I could clearly see that, right? And I had superficial interaction with a, quite a number of people involved in their uh, project from the early days. And I could see, I could see that and I did offer my help. But then he kind of, how to put this, some of their life lessons, you cannot learn from books or you cannot learn from other people. You kind of have to go through that yourself. Uh, and yes, you, did, you guys did discuss it and you probably just listened to that uh, recently. And uh, I think it was a huge aspect of his uh, growth, his learning and uh, his uh, maturity as a human being. And so during this time that he's created and grown Ethereum, how would you say he's changed? Hmm. I think it's uh, he has developed a much uh, broader perspective on uh, social institutions, on people and whatnot, right? And uh, much more multidimensional versus like uh, seeing people or institutions like banks and both oh, their bad banks or, you know, big evil uh, corporations, right? But then you realize, well, there are so many aspects to those institutions. There are so many aspects to each human. Right. And uh, each human they awesome uh, has their strength and then has their weaknesses. And they all come as one package. Right. You cannot deny any one of them. So anyways, and for Vitalik, uh, I could see how he is. Uh, obviously, he always had uh, very high intellect. Right. But as you know quite well, 
it's quite possible to be extremely smart and be total asshole, right? It's uh, so for me, it was a. Uh, Sometimes it was painful to see the, the emotional challenges that he had to go through, like realizing all of that stuff. But again, this is how you integrate some of those lessons. You cannot just like uh, without that heavy emotional processing. So, it, so for me, seeing that maturity in him, that uh, level of uh, newfound wisdom and taking a broader perspective, understanding so many more intricate shades of uh, older different aspects of life. That was, I would say, the biggest uh, part of what I have observed in the last five years. All right. So what are some things that you expect to happen in Ethereum over the next five years? I really have no clue, but uh, I'm excited, obviously, about uh, 2.0, because at this point, Ethereum is still, uh, you know, at most uh, a beta product. You know, it's still, uh, if you will, a toy, and uh, people... Try that, but that's the reality. Every new technology, especially as complicated as this, uh, has to go through those uh, stages, right? And I'm actually, I think, I'm very excited that see that so many things are coming together, and the community of people is uh, as strong as ever, uh, and as uh, as much more diffuse and dispersed and differentiated than it ever has been. So for me, seeing that ongoing evolution and actually seeing Ethereum become an essential aspect of uh, uh, the public infrastructure, and there are so many cool things that the people are trying to do from the DeFi craze to the T2 reputation systems to you know that uh, experimentation with uh, quadratic funding, quadratic voting, all of this stuff. So a lot of really cool experimentations, right? So I really have no idea how to evolve, but I. For me, it's uh, it's pretty obvious. So you know, uh, it makes more sense that uh, it will become a very important aspect of uh, our default public infrastructure. How we no longer thinking about the internet is so just a given for when you look at kids growing up, right? It's it's a given for them, internet and apps and websites and whatnot. And so I think Ethereum has a really good chance of becoming that can public uh, infrastructure component, very essential to the function of the society. And actually, one last question, which is, I think, Ethereum, um, I think Vitalik had told me that one of your interests in Bitcoin had to do with an interest in Austrian economics and gold. Um, and you can correct that if it's wrong. But I did wonder, he did say the other day that, you know, essentially, ETH uh, under Ethereum 2.0 could have more emphasis on the monetary policy. And so at sometimes the asset could be inflationary and other times deflationary. Do you have any opinion on that? Or do you feel like it should be one way or the other? I've never really started the economics uh, to, uh, you know, in depth. But on a superficial level, I think that uh, for the monetary uh, policy of uh, Ethereum makes a lot of sense to me. Because again, like, when I look at... Uh, our current society. And when I look at even at what's been happening in the last, let's say, three, four months, right? And they're printing all this magic money, right? And looking back and looking at their inflation levels that we have seen in the last, let's say, 50 years, right? Uh, people don't realize how insidious, how those things constantly eating, eating into their incomes and affecting their lives, right? Because Two, three percent a year doesn't seem much, but you know when you compound that over 
decades and it becomes a uh, big difference. So I think that uh, the direction that Ethereum is going into, uh, and I kind of like that uh, people, uh, starting with Italic and the, the community, the team, they're thinking about and they're flexible because again, and the Bitcoin, they're just saying, this is hard cap. And no, okay, maybe, right? We will see in a decade if that's sustainable, right? But uh, the way they think about it in Ethereum, it's like, okay, here's our current best guess, and let's be flexible, uh, flexible, and let's then kind of find a way to change that if there is a new sexual consensus emerging, right? So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, we will see what happens when that transition takes place. It's been so great having yeah. you on the show. Thank you so much for coming yeah. on Unconfirmed. Yeah, it was good to see you. Good to talk to you. Take care. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Looking to connect with thought leaders, innovators, and blockchain enthusiasts? Welcome to T-Quorum, a weekly virtual series about all things Tezos. Each week will feature presentations about the latest advancements that help the ecosystem grow together. Interested in speaking at T-Quorum? Submit your presentation ideas and the Tezos community will vote on who comes to the podium next. Sign up and learn more about the virtual series at tquorum.com. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. First headline, Bitcoin crosses 10K. After months of treading water, the price of Bitcoin surged past $10,000 earlier this week. Although it's not clear why, recent news has been bullish for crypto. For instance, the Office of the Controller of the Currency is now allowing U.S. banks to custody crypto, and the pandemic continues to have a dampening effect on the economy. Some industry analysts also believe that DeFi gains are being redirected toward Bitcoin. The impact was also felt on derivatives, as BACT and CME both saw record volumes in their Bitcoin futures markets. Crypto analytics firm SKU tweeted, CME Bitcoin futures had the most active session of the year yesterday. $1.3 billion notional traded. Open interest also climbed to a record high. On a side note, Coinbase Institutional published a report on the first half of 2020 that gives a good overview of the year in crypto so far. It said new people are purchasing Bitcoin and an increasing number of investors are treating it as a store of value. It also highlighted a number of positive metrics in areas as wide-ranging as DeFi to stablecoins to derivatives to mining. For instance, Ethereum is up 73%, stablecoins have more than doubled, and derivatives have also seen an increase with BTC options tripling. Next headline. An easy-to-understand Ethereum 2.0 primer. Ethereum 2.0 is coming, and it's complicated. If you haven't fully wrapped your head around it yet, Coindesk published a detailed but accessible report on Ethereum 2.0 that includes everything from the definitions of terms like Serenity, Casper, and Shasper to explanations of why, at first, ETH created on Ethereum 2.0 cannot be sent back to the original chain. It breaks down what will happen in each phase of the transition. For instance, phase zero launches the beacon chain and proof of stake. Phase two introduces sharding. Phase, sorry, phase one. Phase two is for deploying dApps. And phase three, which is the least defined as of yet, will likely include more complex technological features, such as ones that increase privacy. 
There's also a deep dive into the economics of Ethereum 2.0, which may lead to the creation of digital assets that will be the tokenized versions of staked ETH and rewards earned by validators. Also, if you're wondering what Ethereum 2.0 will look like and want to hear it the way that a friend might explain it to you, check out Haseeb Qureshi's article in Bankless on DeFi and Ethereum 2.0. The Dragonfly Capital Partner writes, quote, Ethereum 2.0 is going to create a bunch of shards, which will work like loosely connected blockchains. But all the DeFi stuff will end up living on a single shard, since it all wants to coagulate together. He further adds, that DeFi shard will be the place where the major DeFi protocols settle. Those that benefit from high velocity and being connected to large liquidity pools for liquidations, flash loans, or whatever. Maybe there will be one major financial shard, like London, or two city shards with their own specializations, like New York City and Chicago. I expect if there is a second city shard, it will be for centralized exchange settlement separated from DeFi and all of its chaos. Next headline, what is the best way to upgrade Bitcoin? Governance in a protocol that takes decentralization as seriously as Bitcoin does is always a tricky subject. With the Taproot soft fork upgrade nearly ready, the Bitcoin community is pondering how best to activate the soft fork. If you're wondering what the main issues are, a recent BitMEX blog post breaks them down into, quote, one, should the minor threshold signaling period be followed by a flag day activation? Two, which parts of the activation logic, if any, should be included in Bitcoin Core? Three, should minor signaling eventually become mandatory? For the uninitiated, flag day activation refers to nodes and miners switching to a different code after a certain point in time, whereas threshold signaling essentially requires miners and nodes to signal support for a change. Bitmix created a decision tree that goes in order from least amount of centralized decision making to most. For instance, the least amount of centralization would be for there to be no flag day activation and also no activation logic included in Bitcoin Core. The most centralized would be to require a flag day activation, a flag day in the Bitcoin Core software, and also for minor signaling at the end of the period. The report recommends a compromise where Bitcoin Core follows the Bitcoin Improvement Proposal number 9, which includes, quote, a 95% minor threshold activation logic without a flag day and mandatory minor signaling, which is basically a Goldilocks version. Next headline. Why everyone keeps talking about YFI. In the world of DeFi, yield farmers seem to chase high interest rates from protocol to protocol. Like lemmings, maybe not jumping off cliffs, but perhaps parkouring between them. I made that up, and if you don't like that joke, too bad. <laughs> but one new DeFi token stands a bit separate, YFI. As community member Ross Galloway put it in a recent YEARN.finance messaging board, Quote, YFI is a mechanism to claim reward and yield farm tokens that are earned with the funds in YEARN's various and upcoming products. It may also capture some revenues of upcoming or current products as decided upon by the community through the governance process. At its core, YFI is the token of a collective yield farm that leverages unique elements of DeFi and Ethereum to capture yield for users of its products. For those of you who have been following this space for a while, to me, it seems similar to a DAO token if the DAO had survived. 
And we all know how excited the world was about the Dow, which raised $150 million in 2016. And that was quite the feat considering how low crypto prices were back then. On top of all this, YFI was distributed almost like Bitcoin in what the community perceives as a fair distribution in which no insiders or VCs or even the creator benefited. The token was released via the y.curve.fi pool in what Ross calls a continuous farmed offering. And he describes that as, quote, the newest, fairest crowd sale. Alex Saunders of Nugget News tweeted, quote, Over the weekend, YFI broke the record for the fastest coin to 100x. It jumped from $34 to $4,500 in seven days. However, it actually traded at $3 on Uniswap after YFI creator Andre Cronier released it, meaning iEarn Finance did 1,000x in a week. Next headline. WTH is YFII. <laughs> Chinese yield farmers, unhappy about the fact that YFI could only be earned through liquidity mining, forked YFI to create YFII which has a larger issuance plus a halving mechanism. This may not seem like a big deal, but this spinoff became an example of the differences between the East and West crypto communities, with the Western DeFi community calling it a scam and the Chinese DeFi community hailing it as the next big thing. YFII adoption exploded in China with crypto whales, traditional CeFi businesses, exchanges, mining pools, and other entities adding it, while Western projects had a different reaction. Balancer quickly blacklisted the YFII slash die pool from its front end interface, which sparked a separate debate about whether Balancer was truly decentralized. The chief analyst at Token Insight, Minion Act ABCT, whose first name I don't know, so sorry about that, summed it up in this tweet thread. Quote, communities in the East are not super fussy about risks compared to the West. Some experienced ones are willing to gamble to chase the high yield, and some are putting a small amount of money just to try it out and experience the excitement on such high yields. And speaking of the East, China arrested 109 members allegedly behind the Plus Token project, Bitcoin's biggest Ponzi scheme ever with over $3 billion worth of crypto being scammed. So next we have a DeFi roundup because there is kind of a lot of activity in DeFi. So we're just going to do a quick run through some of these developments. First, with the explosion in DeFi, the number of contract calls to Ethereum hit an all-time high on July 25th with more than 3.1 million daily contract calls, the majority of them being attributed to DeFi, according to Coinmetrics. Next headline, or next bullet point, <laughs> MakerDAO became the first DeFi protocol to reach $1 billion in total value locked. However, Kyle Samani of Multicoin Capital tweeted that total volume locked or TVL is not a useful metric, at least for lending pools like Compound and Aave, since it subtracts demand from the main metric. Meanwhile, Synthetix replaced the Synthetix Foundation with three DAOs, one for protocol upgrades, one to fund public goods in Synthetix, and one to manage and deploy funds to contributors. DeFi protocol Aave also went fully decentralized, transferring governance from the Aave core team to Aave token holders. Dharma integrated with Uniswap and enabled support for over 2,000 tokens on the Uniswap V2 platform. 
Betting platform Augur launched its version 2, which integrates DeFi features such as IPFS, the file storage system, 0x Mesh, DAI, and Uniswap's V2 Oracle network. And finally, FTX is launching a DEX called Serum on Solana. According to FTX CEO Sam Bankman fried Solana can process 10,000 times as much as Ethereum, and it's 1 million times cheaper. Time for fun bits! An adorable way to view live transactions. TXStreet.com is a very cute transaction visualizer, which represents Bitcoin, Ethereum, and or Bitcoin Cash as transactions, or sorry, the, the transactions on those networks as little people lining up to ride buses. Whenever a new transaction is broadcast on the network, a person appears to board a bus. They get to board the first bus if the transaction has a high enough fee. Otherwise, they have to wait their turn. All right. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Dimitri and Ethereum, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of this episode. Don't forget, you can now watch video recordings of the show on the Unchained YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained Podcast and subscribe today. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.